Now, Made in SG with Melanie Olivero. Made in SG celebrates a true Singaporean talent. And now there is a children's book written about her life, her talents, and mental health struggles as well. I'm Melanie Olivero for CNA 938. Thanks for coming on this journey with me. Margaret Langton is the world's first toy piano virtuoso. Her nickname, Queen of the Toy Piano. Margaret was born in Singapore just as the Japanese occupation of the 1940s ended, and soon she showed she was naturally talented at the piano. But what young Margaret was also trying to grapple with when she was a little girl was OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. You and your kid can find out more about her inspiring story and how she overcame life curves, life's curveballs, and she's still at them by today even. And you can learn all about this by reading a new children's book all about her. It's titled Becoming Margaret Langton, the toy piano virtuoso who couldn't stop counting, published by Marshall Cavendish. So let's give a warm welcome to Margaret Langton and author Lao, or rather Lo Lai Chow. So welcome to CNA 938, ladies. Thank you. Hi. What a pleasure to be here. It is, and it's an absolute pleasure seeing you in the studio as opposed to, which I also completely enjoy, seeing you on stage, Margaret. So oh, lovely. Thank you. Double joy for me. Okay. So how did both of you find each other? Or did the idea for the book bring you together? I think that's more a Lai Chao question. Lai Chao. Mm -hmm. Well, um, it all happened when Margaret staged her production, Dragon Ladies Don't Weep, at the Esplanade. So that mm -hmm. was in 2021. So I happened to see it in, um, I think it was April 2021. And the idea just kind of came to me from there. Um, I've been writing children's books for a couple of years since mm -hmm. then. So mm -hmm. everything I kind of viewed was like through that lens, you know. It's, and then what, what happened after that? Um... It took a few months before I'm like, you know, maybe I should ask Margaret whether she would be interested. So I found her on Facebook and I messaged her and she actually replied and she said, you know, she was open to it. So I was surprised as well. She was very fast to reply and it kind of just sprang from there. Mm. Yes, I, um, I said, well, I don't know you, but I'm open to the idea. Just send me your first draft and we'll take it from there. And she did after about a month or a little bit longer, she sent me her first draft and uh. I was really pleasantly surprised at how much I liked it. Yeah. You know, it. so um, I had thought, well, if I don't like it, that's the end of the story, <laughs> literally, right? Yeah. Right. But I, I was really impressed by the charming, whimsical nature of her writing and the fact that she'd done her homework. She yeah. really had. And so I... E emailed her back. She was on tenterhooks for several days. <laughs> and then I emailed her back and I said, all right, I like it. Go for it. And she approached Marshall Cavendish. Yes. And within 24 hours, they took the book. 24 hours. Yes. <laughs> that is amazing because uh, Lai Chao, as you know, publishers need some time to 
talk to their editors, talk to their publishing team to see if this is something that they want to include in their titles of the year, of the quarter. So 24 hours is actually record timing. I know. It's unheard yeah. of. Unheard yeah. of. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, the editor replied to her. She sent it, I think, to the editor and the editor just grabbed it. So I, we were thrilled that yes. we had you know, yeah. a home for it. Yeah. How thrilling is it? So the first draft that you gave Margaret Lai Chow, was it what we see today or did you and Margaret work together to include more things like, for example, her, her living with OCD? Oh, she knew that already so because it, it was that is draft. very much um, a, th- a theme underlying Dragon Ladies Don't Weep, my one-woman theatre show. Yes. So it was there from the beginning. Yes. She, we never used the word OCD in the play, but it's understood because of all these numbers, these endless, incessant numbers, you yeah. know, um, that go constantly through my head. I, I can't control them. They're just there. We are, you know, yes. Yeah. And that's why when I was six and was finally allowed to start piano lessons, the sigh of relief, I still remember, ah, this is where the counting belongs, creative counting. And, and then from then on, you know, I never looked back. But I've lived with OCD all my life. I still have it. Yes. Um, and I've learned to, to live with it. I've made friends with it in a way that I can function in, in spite of it. Yeah. So and I would hope that be an encouragement to any other young children in Singapore who have this disorder or any kind of other related disorders that you can still be creative and accomplish something in spite of your affliction. That's right. And also adults listening in who may are still trying to live with it. Like you say, Margaret, make friends with it live with it. Let's say, for example, when you're coming to a radio interview, Mm. how does OCD present itself or if at all? Not at all. Not at all, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a very private thing, Mm. you know, this, and I can actually function very well on a creative level when I'm working with other people. And usually I, I warn them in advance. I said, you know, I have OCD. So if it comes up, you know, you have to be understanding about it. But they are all very surprised because it never seems to interfere with our creative process. And for that, I'm really grateful. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely there. And it's, but as I say, it's a much more uh, f- private phenomenon that happens when I'm on my own, yeah. especially when I'm within my own four walls. I live alone. And I think that exacerbates it. Because you, you lose your perspective once you, you know... Um, if I have a, it's all an anxiety-based disorder. It's that's what it is. It's one of the anxiety-based disorders, and um, I kind of know how to skirt the rug, how not to go over the precipice, which would trigger off a really um, a severe attack, which could take me days to recover from. Yeah. I've learned to skirt the rug, and one of the pieces which is so moving in Dragon Ladies Don't Weep is called "Wearing Treads in the Carpet of My Mind," because that's what OCD is: this yeah. relentless, you know, going round and round and round in circles on one obsessive thought. Yes, wearing treads in the carpet of my mind. I love that title. And also, it uh, brings to mind uh, one of my favorite contemporary artists and painters, Yayoi Kusama. And uh, sh- Oh, yes. She has her own problems. That's right. Yes, she has depression. 
That's right. Yeah. And she also has uh, some sort of uh, mental health issues. And uh, she uses that to make beautiful works of art, mostly concentric circles that she likes to draw and dot all yes. of the items that she yes. works with. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, you've seen her artwork. And yes, it's it, pretty obsessive too. I think. Yes, she does. So mm. she she needs to. She seeks help. Uh, she seeks help at a medical facility every day. And she says that if she doesn't express herself with her work, she may not be able to cope too well. Mm. So I see a lot of similarities there. And mm. like you, Margaret, she's very open about it. I I'm open about it because that's my normal. Yeah. Okay. And I want people to be aware that my normal is not the broken version of someone else's normal normal. Yeah. It's, and it's think, all you. Yeah. And I would say that's also true of people who are autistic. We all have our own unique normals and they're no way less valid than somebody else's, you know, a normal human being's normal. Yeah. I completely agree. Now let's talk about how we decide, uh, how both of you and Marshall Cavendish decided to capture your talent and your version of normal, which, uh, and of course your talent that everyone wants to read about children as well. How did you put this book together? Uh, Margaret and Lai Chao, did it involve sitting in a room when <laughs> Margaret was in Singapore or was it just a Zoom thing or a WhatsApp thing? It was a messenger thing. <laughs> Yeah, messenger thing. Yeah. We, we did a lot of emailing, actually. Right. Yeah. Tell us more. So um, I think we were still in the take of COVID. So Margaret is based in New York. Yes. And I'm in Singapore. So we were just emailing each other furiously. And Margaret has like all these archives of wonderful anecdotes and accounts. She does all these observations. So it's really wonderful to read and get an insight into how, how her mind works, how she perceives things. So... Yeah, I, I think I was very privileged. Yeah. Yeah. And those were in the, and some of them, uh, slivers of them are in the book. Yes. Like what exactly? Huh? Um, like the one of the light um, coming on. I mean, the, the, the light reflecting off the river, the yes. East River. I think that came from um, one of Margaret's observations. As well. My epiphany, that was one of my epiphanies when I first went to Juilliard and I was 16 and I was terribly homesick. So the light reflected and off the I Hudson was, River? Yes, I was um, in a car going along the um, East River Drive and watching the, the sun glinting off the water with the skyline of New York, Manhattan's magnificent skyline behind me. And all of a sudden I felt this sense of like like a light bulb, I said, I'm going to be famous. <laughs> I'm going to conquer New York. That the inspiration of my surroundings just absolutely, you know, overwhelmed me and um, made me... F- and then I, all my homesickness dropped away and never came back. Yeah. It, was a, it really was an epiphany, you know? So she, she put that in the book and um, I'm, I'm really happy. But you see... She's done all her research, but there are things she wouldn't know because um, I've maybe not talked about, written about them. And I felt there were certain things which needed to be filled in. So I would say um, things like um, having Schroeder, the toy pianist from Peanuts, as a guest um, in my book is something I felt I had to include because the creator of Peanuts... 
uh, Mr. Charles Schultz had written me a letter when my first toy piano album came out, yeah. which was like a, a bestseller and you know made all the charts and everything. And he wrote to me and said, I am very flattered that you have joined Schroeder as one of the great toy piano performers of all time. You know, he wrote me a letter. Yeah. Yeah. And it was with Snoopy's letterhead and they said Charlie Brown and Snoopy send their best wishes. So I have this letter from Dr. You know, from from Charles Schultz, and so um, I felt we had to get there and there somehow, and we did. And not only that, I got permission because Mrs. Schultz, yeah. whom I'm good friends with, helped me work it all out with the Peanut Syndicate. So we were able to have the artist Dan Qua draw Schroeder in there. Yes, if you can imagine what you know a coup that is. It's so cool. Yeah. So um, things like that, and. Oh, yes. And then I, I, lots of things that came into my mind that I hadn't thought about for years. And then after that, we, we put, and as if that wasn't enough, Margaret was invited to play Beethoven on toy piano in Beethoven's house in Bonn, Germany. Amazing. You know how Schroeder was always playing toy piano. Yeah. yeah. So eat your heart out, Schroeder. <laughs> <laughs> I, his, his, polo, his pose, his classic pose is always bent over the toy Crouching piano. Crouching over the toy That's piano. That's right. Well, the, it's so charming in the book because we're back to back. Yes. You know, playing our, our respective toy pianos. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wonderful, very, uh, it's a lovely, very powerful image as well. And let's also talk about... Um, the beautiful illustrations and drawings oh, in the book. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Margaret, you must have had to send pictures to Marshall Cavendish, to Lai Chow, and the artist. Who was, who's the artist? Yes, we have to give him credit for sure. Yes, Lai Chow. Yeah, he's, um, he's Dan Kwa, so honestly, we haven't met him personally. Yeah, we haven't met him. Ooh. Can you believe yeah. this? We've met on Zoom once. Is he Singaporean? Yes. Oh, <laughs> this is ridiculous. You know what it? that means? What? you got to arrange a meetup. <laughs> well, we have to arrange, Marshall Cavendish has to arrange That's the meetup. That's right. Because we don't have direct contact with him. Oh, I see. Oh, I see. Everything's done through Marshall Cavendish as a channel. So we we don't know how to reach him. Oh. Can you imagine? This is so ridiculous in this day and age. We're here and he's done this beautiful job for this book. Very beautiful. And we can't even thank him personally. Okay. So, yeah. He wasn't in Singapore for the launch in November. Yes. So we never got to meet him. Okay, so, yeah. yeah. So, message to MC. Yep. And so, I'll answer your question by yeah. saying that I fed Dan with lots and lots of photographs that would be relevant to Lai Chao's text. That's right. And in places uh, where there wasn't a photograph, I told him, just use your imagination and draw it. Mm. And he came up with some beautiful interpretations of his own. And I really did drive him nuts, you know, <laughs> between my OCD and this need to get every detail right. Because I wanted it to be like a Victorian doll's house in miniature where everything is accurate, that nobody can look at it and, you know, say, oh, well. So even the aerograms from that day when I was writing home, who uses aerograms nowadays, right? <laughs> with, with blue and the red. And yes. Everything was down to detail. Yeah, the cover of my, my Chopin preludes, the cover was exactly the yellow Shermer's cover. You know, everything was done absolutely authentic. Completely understand. If you want to get the story right, it has to be right. Right down yeah. to the illustrations, if down they are involved. Down to every last detail in the illustrations. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, you know, it's partly the OCD things, but the stickler for detail and perf in meticulous perfection. Oh, I, he were, 
I think he bar- was more than he had bargained for, but he stuck it through. <laughs> <laughs> so for that, I'm extremely grateful. Dan, if you're anywhere out there, <laughs> I want to thank you very much. So you had to send him scanned images of your pictures or you just took pictures of it and sent no, it? No, no, no. These are photographs that are pre-existing. Ah, so did you take pictures of so it I and send So I just scanned the photos and sent them to him. Ah, okay. Yes, yes. and also he included, we got um, permission from the um, the di- uh, uh, director of Dragon Ladies Don't Weep, Samara Talwick, and from the beautiful um, projections that were made for Dragon Ladies Don't Weep by Nick Rue. They're both Australian. Yeah. Um, and they gave us permission to, and they that that is the climax, the centerpiece of the book is are these very powerful for images from Dragon Ladies Don't Weep, where I'm, you know, in the throes of a very intense OCD episode, let's put it that way. Yeah, the way he illustrated it. Yeah, he illustrated it beautifully. He took those images I sent him and he, like the Dragon Ladies on Weep images, and he drew them. That's right. Yeah, and it's so powerful, that centerpiece of the book. And I've just um, autographed copies to them and I hope they will love it as much as we do. Yeah. Lai Chao has also made a theme in her writing throughout the book. Tell them about the unstoppable theme. Unstoppable theme? Lai yeah, Chao? well, basically, like, Margaret is sort of like a, a nature of force, right? So force she, of nature. I mean, force of nature. So <laughs> she's in, yeah, based in her nature, like, she's, like, her, her personality is, you know, once she's bent on something, she doesn't stop. Sure. So she's unstoppable. And you can see that throughout the book. So that comes as a theme, is repeated three, at least three or four times in the book, you know, that she is unstoppable. Sure. Yeah. And you're still being unstoppable. Lai Chao, let's bring you back. And uh, I want to ask you, which part of the book impressed you the most? Because for me, it was when Margaret started placing objects in the piano itself to experiment with sound to come up with new musical notes and other sounds as well. What about you? What's your favourite part? You know, I have so many favourite <laughs> parts about the book. That's also one of my favourite parts. But I think for now, right now, I really love the, um, the, the part where she's with her dogs. Like mm. you can really see, you know, she's so at ease with them. They're like home. Yeah, I, it's just something really, really nice about it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very peaceful images, even yes. though they're drawn. It just brings you a lot of happiness and peace. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm very proud to say that that photo of my five dogs lined up on the sidewalk with yes. Alicia's spread next to them, sitting at attention, that's from a photograph. Yeah, and, and, and there's one picture which is like, you can, you can see like the pure bliss on Margaret's face. It's just yeah. contentment. Which is so, so nice. I mean, it's just really lovely. It is lovely. Is that a picture of them walking down downtown Manhattan or somewhere else? Uh, no, I live in Brooklyn. You so, live in Brooklyn? Yes, which part? Park Slope, which is, you know, so dog friendly. So that was um, my earlier generation. They're all gone now. Oh. Yeah. <clears throat> but I, I always have dogs. And that one year that I spent training dogs for the handicapped, for the deaf, was for me very important because I needed a break from playing the piano. Yeah, what happened? Um, I just had a bit of an 
identity crisis. Like, do I really want to be a classical pianist like everybody else? Mm. And I needed some time out. And, then I said, and since I love dogs so much, you know, I'm going to to work with dogs. I'm going to go to the dogs. <laughs> and um, that really helped me get a certain perspective. And right, everything in life is timing, as you know. And right after that, I met John Cage. And that changed my whole life from then on. I date my life from BC, AC, AC, BC, before Cage, after Cage. And also, um, when I first met my first dog, um, uh, when I was living in Brooklyn, that was that's another milestone in my life is ADBD, you know, before dog, after dog. <laughs> so I have these important, um, uh, very important milestone uh, change of life events. So um, I met John Cage and then I found a whole new way of, of approaching the piano, as you can see, you know, this prepared piano where I put objects in the strings yes. or playing the piano in, in completely different ways. And that brought me back to music and to playing the piano again. John Cage, of course, the late John Cage is the American composer and musical theorist. And uh, he is, of course, in the book. He's yes. Your, he's your mentor. Yes. And that photograph, that drawing is from a photograph. And Dan did such a good job. It looks unmistakably like John Cage. Yes. Mm. The, the, the shape of his face. Absolutely. And his, the creases yeah. in his face is all there. Yes. And he was really, you know, <clears throat> such an important figure in my life. He was this avant-garde giant um, musician, composer and thinker who has really influenced the culture of the second half of the 20th century. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so... It was my great privilege to have known him. Yes. And uh, I think a lot of us, I think children who read your book will suddenly become interested. Who is this gentleman? They'll look him up yes. and they'll have another story to read about the, the John Cage story because his life also has been very fascinating. Tell us more about that point in time when you trained hearing dogs for the deaf. How did you chance upon this skill and how many dogs did you train during that time? Well, I worked with an organization called Assistant Dog, Assistance Dogs for the Deaf. And um, what, because, you know, I'm a hearing person. So I felt if, and I love dogs. So if there's any way I can combine my um, love of dogs with doing something that was socially meaningful and valuable for me, that's why I, I, I decided to do this. Because you see, the thing about playing the piano, you know, classical musicians pretty much live in an ivory tower. And as I get older, I realize more and more how important and necessary it is, it is to descend from your ivory tower. And now I make art that has very much a real life relevance. And my, one of my programs, for example, that I will be doing when I go back to New York is called And No Birds Sing. And it is a requiem for the earth. It is my um, contribution to this awareness of what we're doing in our destruction of our environment. And what form will that take? A play? or No, a... it's this one will be 
um, pieces of music that are very powerful that will reflect and make people think about climate change. Mm. You know, when you had the news just now about the bushfires in Australia, oh boy, did that bring it home. Because four years ago, we were working on Dragon Ladies Don't Weep yeah. in Melbourne because it's co-commissioned um, uh, with the Asia Topa um, Triannual Performing Arts Festival and Esplanade in Singapore. And I was working in Australia at, th at that time with the director and the composer and everybody else, and the bushfires were raging, yeah. absolutely raging. And now four years later, they've, they've, they've achieved that kind of intensity again. So th that's one of the... Uh, and Eric Griswold, who wrote the music for Dragon Ladies Don't Weep, is such a wonderful composer, and he's from Brisbane and also originally from California. I asked him to write me a piece on you know, the bushfires and, and, and the terrible California wildfires. And he's made me this wonderfully vivid piece. Um, it's called Paradise Lost because of the town in California, Paradise, that was destroyed. It's never been rebuilt by fire. And, uh, so this is what I mean by relevance. Yes, because mm. as an animal lover, you would know, Margaret, that in those Australian bushfires of years ago, not too long ago, hundreds of millions of wildlife died in those fires. Three billion animals yeah. perished. And I have that mentioned in my Dragon Ladies Don't Weep because I have a series of daily reality checks yes. in the play that are posted. And one of them is... Awareness of climate change, where I say three billion animals. That's the, the real figure. Numbers mean a lot to you. Died, so that stays yep, with you. In the Australian bushfires. Yeah. And, and we always need to be aware of that and also be aware of climate change and the part that we each play in that. I also wanted to ask you, how have children and parents been receiving the book so far? What have they been saying to you? Have, have some of the parents been also <laughs> contacting you on Facebook? Margaret, and also Lai Chao, what have they been saying? Um, well, I, I, I had a mom recently told me that her son has been asking to be read the book every day. For, like, <gasps> really? Oh, that, so, I'm so that was really nice. That's wonderful. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, I, I, I think it's a book that's not just for children. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And I think adults would really um, resonate very strongly with the material. Yes, it's for 6 yeah. to 106. <laughs> and beyond. <laughs> I completely agree. And Margaret, what have people been saying to you? Well, one very charming one is um, <clears throat> uh, this friend of mine, she said, ah, oh, my goddaughter and her children, they all got their hair cut just like yours. <laughs> and she sent me this picture of them <laughs> Have, wearing my haircut, that <laughs> was so sweet. The, the, this bob with the fringe. Yeah, the bob with with a, with a fringe. Yes. And I don't know if they have that ear sticking out like mine, which is a signature, you know, um, uh, uh, quality about my my appearance. If you see it in every page of the book, my ear is sticking out. <laughs> oh, I didn't notice that. You didn't I, notice? Oh, you no, should I was see. looking at the hairstyle more than anything because <laughs> it, it's a timeless look. Yes, uh, that's been going through since the, the 1920s uh, till today. And in the 90s, it was again popularized by you and Uma Thurman in the in the film Pulp Fiction, the Quentin Tarantino movie, the Bob yes. the Fringe. Mm -hmm. Always, always <laughs> timeless. There are so many achievements that Margaret has accomplished over the years. 
One of them, of course, being the first Singaporean to perform at Carnegie Hall's main stage, the first to master the toy piano, the first Singaporean to graduate with a doctorate from Juilliard. Lai Chao, which one did you enjoy writing about? Which achievement? Or which truth, really? Lai Chao, which truth? I think Margaret's resilience. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds cliche, but she really is very resilient. So there's I'm one there's, there's one part of the book um, towards the end where I guess spoilers are okay for the show. Which part is that? Um, that there's one part of the book where, you know, something happened to Margaret. Yeah. Like, well, it actually took place after we were almost done with the final draft. Mm. But um, Margaret felt really strongly and, and we agreed as well that you should be in book. Okay. So, yeah, that I think that part really stays very strongly with me. Let's talk about that because, Margaret, I did not know you suddenly could not see out of your left eye just before your 77th birthday, but yet you're still carrying on performing, you're still doing your thing, still collaborating. That's not going to stop you. But what did the doctor say about your eye? Why did it suddenly, in a sense, stop working? I'm blind. In my left eye. I see. I have no vision. But what It's not going to come back either. He, he didn't it say... It happened in August 2nd, a year and a half ago. Mm. And I had a terrible infection, which pretty much destroyed the, the retina and the optic nerve. I see. So my vision's not going to come back. But I have adjusted to it. The very next day after the surgery, I had to find out if I could play or not. Otherwise, it's the end of my career. And I found I could not only play on the keyboard, I could still play on the strings inside the piano. So I said, okay, life is going to go on. Nobody needs to know about it. And I never told anybody. And then I decided I was going to drop this bombshell in the book because the book will go on long after I'm dead and gone. And I wanted to be comprehensive and include all the milestones in my life. And going blind is one of them. Mm. So people think I'm very brave to, to, to actually, you know, that because nobody can tell by looking at me and by my performances, nobody would even know that I, you know, my conclusion is one eye is a necessity, two eyes is a luxury. So <laughs> I, I, I'm, and this is again, I think, another of the lines where Lai Chao says she's unstoppable. Yeah, yeah. You sure and are. I, it has not compromised my playing one bit, and I don't talk about it. But if people read the book and they find out, they're quite shocked, and and that's fine. But that's the only way people will really know, because. Um, whether I play the piano and deliver with one eye or two eyes is really nobody's business, right? <laughs> <laughs> because <clears throat> you can still do it. Yeah, I can. I just did it last week. Exactly, and you're going to do it again. <laughs> In Singapore, yeah. <laughs> is there going to be another book, you think? Oh, well, I'll just sum this up. I feel I've lived a good life, and I'm quite proud of the record of the fact that I've had two films made on my life. Yep. Yep, one um, Sorceress of the New Piano by Evans Chan back in 2005 and the other more recent in 2020. It's called Twinkle Dammit by a young Chinese filmmaker who made me the subject of his master's thesis and then the film went on to win all kinds of awards at international film festivals. So I have two films on my life. I have a theatre play on my life, Dragon Ladies Don't Weep, and now I have a children's storybook on my life. So, you know, I feel, I feel good. I could... I could hang up the shingle and it would be okay. I've got these things that are, you know, a wonderful. It's, it is testimony wonderful. 
that I can feel proud of. And there will be more testimonies from you and Lai Chao. Thank you for working with Margaret to make it happen. And thank you for coming down to CNE 938. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. It's been a joy and an honour. The new children's book, Becoming Margaret Ling Tan, the toy piano virtuoso who couldn't stop counting, should be read by all kids and, of course, us adults as well. It's not only beautifully illustrated, it's a well-told, true story, thanks to Margaret Ling Tan and author Lo Lai Chao. This hardcover book is available at bookstores here and online as well, published by Marshall Cavendish. That's a wrap of Made in SG, and I'm Melanie Olivero for CNA 938. 